Well, hello, James. Well, hello, Melody. It's great to be back here with you. Well, thank you. I always enjoy our conversation. And uh, if time would allow us uh, in the different time zones, I would love to do this on a more frequent basis. But uh, I'm happy to uh, uh, have you here every two weeks. And, you know, there's so much that goes on from, you know, during the two weeks um, that we have the time to uh, uh, share. And I don't even know where to begin anymore when we start the programs because there's so much. And, um, you know, you wrote in the lead into your most recent podcast, we now know that that something was a daring special force raid that ended in the death of Osama bin Laden. Or is that Abu Musqab al-Zakari or Baghdadi or... You know, and some of my customers, when they called me and says, well, how many times can this guy die? How many times can this guy die? This is almost old news. You know, it's a week old. But uh, would you like to comment on that, please? Yes, I would. Um, Yeah. How many times can the same guy die? Well, I guess it depends on which (laughs) sources uh, you trust, (laughs) which is a big part of the whole question. But at any rate, he has been reported as dead near dead, or maybe dead, on at least four or five different occasions. I I actually haven't totaled it up, um, but I have recounted all of them in my latest podcast. That's episode 366 for those keeping track at home. Something big has happened, where I break down not only the multiple deaths and arrests of uh, the latest terror boogeyman that we were all supposed to be living in mortal fear of, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, but also his predecessor, Abu Omar al-Baghdadi, and his predecessor, Abu Musab al-Zarqawi. And although those names just tend to get jumbled up and uh, people just know them as the scary bearded guy that sometimes posted on the news and announced as dead from time to time, it is instructive to put all of those reports of he was dead at this point, he was dead at this point, he was arrested at this point, he was dead again at this point, he was arrested at this point. Putting all those stories in a row, I think, highlights the absurdity of what it is we're expected to believe in this never-ending war of terror in which it's the two minutes hate. All we know is that there's some scary turban-bearded guy that's uh, that we're supposed to hate, and, oh, he was, he was, he's dead, yay, he was arrested, yay, he's dead again, yay. It's just that sort of thing. And I did point out some of the many parallels between Osama bin Laden and the Obama announcement of OBL's supposed death at the hands of uh, SEAL Team 6 back, what was it, eight or nine years ago? I've lost count. Um, And this dramatic raid on Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi's compound. Uh, There's a lot of parallels to these stories, not only the daring special forces raid and uh, the watching in the situation room photograph that was staged in both of those events and uh, all of the details. I mean, right down to we we tested his DNA before we disposed of his body in the ocean and nobody can see him. (laughs) I mean, every part of this story is the same as the OBL story and every part of it stinks to high heaven, just like that one did uh, several years ago. And I think the point of these stories is essentially for politicians to grandstand on the backs of the boogeymen that they themselves have created. And I say that advisedly because as I point out in that episode 366, both Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, who was the officially acknowledged founder of ISIS, and his replacement, his successor, Abu Omar al-Baghdadi, both of them were, according to the Pentagon itself, either 
did not exist or were made up characters that were uh, basically played along by by the terrorists and by the their military slash intelligence handlers. Um, it, it, the story just gets weirder and weirder the more you dig into it. Uh, long story short, the War of Terror is a myth and you shouldn't swallow it. It just amazes me, James, that... I mean, we see through this. We get it because we follow it day in, day out for years after years. But the mainstream or the the general populace out there are just so buffaloed by by this, and it it just amazes me that they could be led so easily. It, it, it well, yeah, you're right, and and there's two points to make that about that. One is, are they really? I mean, what? how do we gauge that? We only gauge how much the rest of the population is buffaloed by this, by A, our direct interactions with people around us, and I'm sure we all do know people who do buy this, or at least say they buy this nonsense. But more importantly, we get most of our information from the media itself, who basically implies with everything they say and do, if you don't believe this, you're some kind of fringe nut crazy person. Whereas... Time and time again, as I've pointed out before, I did a a Propaganda Watch episode uh, recently about polls and the way they are used as a form of propaganda to propagandize us into believing if you don't believe what we believe, you're crazy. Because look, 93% of the public believes that and 87% of the public believes this. And if you're one of the 13%, then you're strange. Um, But actually, uh, we find time and time again that actually the majority of the public, the vast majority of the American public, knows that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was not a lone gunman, lone nut assassin. And uh, a majority of the public, ever since I think 2006, the polls were coming out showing that the majority of the public believe that the U.S. government is hiding things about 9-11 things like this. and But we're still expected to believe that we're crazy if we question such events. So I think part of it is that. And the other part is, as you mentioned, we are looking at this day to day. We are covering this and we are the people reporting the news. So we're looking at these news feeds every day and we see these inconsistencies. But the vast majority of people are just working their jobs and getting along with their lives. And they see headlines on the evening news and it just it just gets accepted. They just kind of it washes over them because most people aren't going to be delving deep into it or keeping keeping a scorecard at home. How many times has this particular terrorist been killed? Um, so that's I think that's the value of the work that we're doing, putting these pieces together and showing it to people in a way that the mainstream media will never show it to you. If propaganda, I mean, I mean everything we can tag it to propaganda. How does history, I mean, if the truth and reality is overshadowed by all the propaganda, what will, what will our history be? Yeah. I yeah, mean, that's the million dollar question. And that's one that I addressed quite uh, specifically in my podcast. Uh, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's called History is Written by the Winners. And I went through that. Yeah. Um, specifically, it was on the heels of my World War One documentary, where I laid out the sort of hidden history of World War One that you never, never were taught in school, and how that differs from the official story that we're expected to believe. And for, in that context, I was examining the ways that history is written by the winners, in that case, quite literally, how... All of these in- extremely important first-hand official documents of various uh, governments were confiscated and brought back to the U.S. and put in 
the the uh, under the auspices of the Hoover Institution, ultimately, and that that is to this day only a select cadre of researchers who are obviously establishment mouthpieces for the most part anyway are allowed to even look at these documents that are the source information for so much of our history of World War One and to think that our time and the history of our time will be any different it we'd have to be naive and at some point a generation or two down the road when Osama bin Laden and all of this kind of stuff that we've lived through is now out of living memory, our grandchildren will be reading in history textbooks about, oh, and there was this Osama bin Laden, he did this and this, and then he was killed in a special forces raid, and they'll be forced to memorize that and regurgitate it on some test, and like good dutiful school children, and that will be the extent of it. So it is, it is, uh, it cannot be overstated how important it is to have a truthful historical record so that we can actually base our understanding of the world on something real, something true for once. Can you imagine if our understanding of the world was based on history and reality and truth as opposed to this doctored vision of the world that we're fed, uh, that's fed down our throat since the time we're school children and how much different things could be? I mean, imagine when I was growing up, Back in the 80s, if they were teaching about what was really happening in Mena, Arkansas and Iran-Contra and things like that, rather than, you know, just dutifully swallowing the, the nonsense that, that was going through the, the news headlines. Uh, again, we could have a much different understanding of the world. And that is the power and the promise of the independent media that exists to whatever extent that it exists today and is allowed to exist online by the powers that shouldn't be, uh, as much as they may be trying to squelch down on it and, and tamp that. At any rate, it exists right now, and that's one of the reasons I do what I do. As an historical record, as a witness saying, this is reality, this is what really happened, and hopefully, you know, at least my grandchildren will have some sort of better understanding of the way the world really operates um, as a result of this. How far back do you believe? Do you believe World War One was the the time that it truly changed? I mean, there's groups out there now that are actually going back and rewriting the history that we believe is true. Or so I mean, there's just no way of knowing though. I mean, and how far back? I mean, do you go to where the point where history has been rewritten and we don't even know about it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's know? a good question. I would sincerely doubt that there is any any time period that you could go back to in the historical record, or at least the historical record that's presented in the mainstream world, as being, this is really the truth in all of its totality, um, I'm not even sure that would be possible, even if everyone involved was best of intentions trying to document. How do you document everything that's happening in the context and the subtext and put it in a way that summarizes it so that people in the future will be able to understand it? That's probably impossible as a task anyway, but Regardless, yeah, there's no, I, I can't imagine that there is a time period that there hasn't been some version of history being written by the winners, and that gets handed down. At least with something like World War One, we still have access to enough of the source material and, and certain things that we can piece together a reliable uh, understanding of, of what was really happening there and, and how that influences what's happening today. When you start going further and further back, uh, you it, it becomes more and more spotty and much more difficult to reconstruct a valid and truthful history. So again, I have no doubt that our understanding of the earliest human civilization and the pyramids and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure there are vast inaccuracies in all of that, but it gets much harder to piece together the reality of that. Um, what I tend to try to do is what can we do with what we have uh, in yeah. terms of access to documents and 
and interviews and, and sources and things. And what can we piece together from that that tells us about the world that we're living in? And on that note, that's exactly why I did the World War One documentary, because uh, there's a few reasons for it. One, it was the 100th anniversary, which has a certain sort of resonance that, that allows people to, to sort of take a new look at something like that. But secondarily, because it's far enough back that no one is personally invested in it. No one is like, I fought in that war, so it must have been for the reasons that I thought it was for or something like that. No one's personally invested in but it. Uh, but it does have real implications. And I think it was a turning point in the 20th century that in a way, every major event of the 20th century that comes after it can be traced back to those origins in World War I. And if our understanding of that story is so completely wrong, then the, our understanding of the 20th century thereby is completely yeah. wrong. And we have to reimagine that 20th century in the, in the light of that new information that I hope I presented in the World War I conspiracy, available for free, of course, as with all my work at CorbettReport.com slash WWI. Thank you for the work that you do, James. Really, it's so important. 